There is none like 
Bible class here at the Hartzell Church of Christ. Every time I say that, I, I'm reminded of my days when I was on the radio here every day. And I'd say, uh, it was called Just a Minute, be one of these one minute things. And I'd end by saying, I'm Philip Hines of the Hartzell Church of Christ. Yeah, so we welcome you to the Hartzell Church of Christ. For all of you who are online, thank you for being a part of our Bible class. Everybody take your Bible. And turn to 2 Kings chapter 6. Sometimes we probably have more online because of the stormy weather uh, that we've had than we usually uh, do online. So we're glad that you, we have this means. Uh, we want to go through our uh, newsletter. There's a newsletter at the back. Also, there is an outline of our text tonight that we'll be discussing so please feel free to get both of those. Um, you see on the front of our newsletter, our seniors that we'll be honoring, and we'll be honoring them on uh, Sunday afternoon because of two of them being away and other complications as well. So we'll be doing that after our Bible classes Sunday night in the uh, uh, new auditorium. Also, as you turn on the inside and we look at our sick list, there's uh, one that we need to add to our sick list, and that's Diane DeBell. This is Robin Scruggs' mom, and she's having surgery Monday to remove a mass on her kidneys, and uh, prayers are requested, so we want to remember her as well. Keep in mind, Lane is having her surgery uh, tomorrow, there are those who are having tests, 
and those who have had surgery. And you have that list there before you. You have a, a prayer request from two, and so we want to remember them as well. As you look in the center of the newsletter, a lot of stuff is going on. Uh, I want to encourage you. Uh, there is the address of our new youth minister, and you, I know he would appreciate it. He and his family would appreciate it if you just drop him a little line and say, we are looking forward uh, to you coming to Hartsoul. And then we have the senior recognition that M&M, due to so much going on here in May, M&M has been canceled for this month. Also, there's the information about the Vacation Bible School. There's some lists in the Commons area. And if you still are not involved in that and would like to be, there's the information on that. On June the 4th, we will have a uh, sandwich supper for our Brazil work. And uh, there should be probably this Sunday, there will be some sheets out for you to, to sign and, and if you'd like to help with that. This is a way we uh, can uh, help teens go in in the summer and do campaigns in, in Larmanai and in that particular area in spreading the gospel. Also, uh, the blessing bags. Uh, the, uh, read that. Uh, seemed like a very good work. And uh, this, uh, you can, I think you can see, if you have any questions, Lisa Parker or Sabrina Hughes. So if you'd like to be a part of the blessing bags, please do that. We have our summer series speakers that will be speaking on Sunday nights uh, listed. And then we have uh, uh, information about Brandon McLemore will be in the Hartsville Living magazine talking about his films that he produces. And then the Lighthouse uh, invites you to join them for the Lighthouse Spring Program and pre-K graduation on Tuesday, May the 16th at 6 p.m. in the main auditorium. Now that's always a treat to watch those kids dress up and to uh, see the little shows that they put on, so we encourage you to do that. That's all that I know of that I want to call your attention to on our list. Let's... Um, have a word of prayer for our sick. Father, we are blessed to have you as our God, and we're thankful for the so many, many blessings of life. Thankful for the rain today, and we just uh, know you look down on us, and you take care of us. More importantly, you're a God that we can talk to, and you listen. And tonight, we... Um, we bring some names before you. We pray that things are going to go well with Lang's surgery uh, tomorrow. We pray that this will not be cancerous. We pray that there will be quick healing. For Robert Allen, for David Bradburn as he recovers from his surgery, for Rita Bedingfield as she continues her treatments, for James Payton, for Connie Dickinson, and for Dan Thomas. Father, these are many that are hurting and need your comfort and the strength that only you can bring, and we ask for that tonight. Be with us as we study, continue our study in Elisha. We thank you for this great character and all the many stories that are there for us to, to milk and to glean from and be able to remember as we go through certain difficulties in our lives. And this is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. As I mentioned a few moments ago, all Bibles are open to uh, 2 Kings chapter 6. Tonight, we'll be looking at verses 18 through verse 23. And we're going to be talking about getting what is needed, not what is deserved. Now that probably rings the bell with most of you already because that is usually uh, a definition that we give when it comes to defining the word grace. In life we often will say ourselves or we will hear people say they got what they deserved. Uh, that's a common phrase. Now, that phrase can be used in a positive way, can it? Uh, someone gets a promotion. They have worked very, very hard in their life. 
And uh, you look and say, they got what they deserved. Uh, someone does a wonderful thing in helping someone out or some other thing, and uh, they get a compliment. And someone says, they deserved that compliment. So when we use that phrase, we can certainly use it in a positive way. But most of us, most of us, when we use that phrase, we use it in a negative way. And uh, when we talk about a negative way, I mean, we just see, we point out uh, someone has done something bad, for example. They said something, they did something, and now, because it was bad, they are sowing, or they're reaping what they sow. Their things are happening to them, or someone's done this or that, and so we look at them and we say, my goodness, you're getting what you deserved. Uh, I think a lot of us, a lot of us, if we don't say that, we think that about people a lot. And what we're going to see in our story tonight as we continue with Elisha, and aren't you amazed at all these different stories and all these different wonderful truths that are there in these stories? What we're going to see tonight is that we're going to see Elisha give some folks what they needed and not what they deserved, leaving us a tremendous example that we need to remember about grace, about how we ought to live our lives and how we ought to treat each other. And we ought to treat people out there. That is, we learn to give them what they need and not what they deserve. And also, as we look at this, we're going to be blessed to have this beautiful picture. I mean, we talk about God's grace, and God gives us what we need and not what we deserve. And we have this beautiful illustration uh, of what the grace of God is all about. So I think we're going to benefit from our, our lesson tonight. Actually, our lesson is a continuation from last week. Some of you had a comment. You say, well, you just left that hanging. Well, I did that on purpose. And the reason I did that on purpose is because in our lesson last week, I wanted us to really focus in on one major truth. And then tonight, at the end, the sequel, the continuation, I want us to focus in on another truth that is just as powerful as the first truth. So let's sort of get our minds focused about uh, where we are. I would say this before we go where we are, and that is that we as God's people, we live by this higher goal. And that higher goal is to learn to give people what they need and not what they deserve. Last week, remember the story? The king of Syria decides he's going down and do these battles with uh, Israel. And he's trying to find the king of Israel. And the problem is that Elisha the prophet knows where they're trying to focus. And so Elisha the prophet is informing the king of Israel about, you don't go there, don't do this. And finally, the king of Syria is wondering, why is this happening? And one of his servants, how he knew about it, I don't know. But one of his servants says, what's happening is that Elisha the prophet, the man of God, is telling the king about all your attacks. Well, the strategy changes then. At first, we were going down and we we're trying to get the king of Israel. But now, no, we can't get the king of Israel until we get Elisha. And so somehow, somewhere, they find out that Elisha is at Dothan. And so the king sends uh, uh, some of his army, not all of his army, but some of his army down from Damascus, so Dothan and surrounds the city, remember? Now this was at nighttime. And in the morning, the servant of Elisha gets up and all of a sudden, here, you know, here's the whole city and it's surrounded. And he's scared to death. He's scared to death. And he comes back in and says, what in the world are we going to do, Elisha? And then this was the thrust of our text and the truth that we wanted to get across in our uh, lesson uh, last week. So he, Elisha, answered, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. 
And we talked about that's the way we have to live our lives. And we forget that. That as God's people, we have a whole lot more for us than the enemy does. Even though sometimes it looks like, it looks like the enemy outnumbers us. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray open his eyes he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. All of a sudden, the servant began to realize, hey, his eyes were open and he was able to see what Elisha knew and had already seen when Elijah had gone up into heaven. And he realized that, hey, we got the numbers, not them. And that was the truth that I wanted us to take with us and to put that little, these verses on a refrigerator somewhere in our car to memorize and to remember. When the difficulties of life comes and it seems like Satan and the world and the enemy has just surrounded us completely. Now, with that in mind, that's where we left this story hanging. Here they are. The servant has just come in. His eyes have been opened. He's seen the uh, chariots and he's seen the horses. And he's, you think, is feeling so much better. Let's pick the story up there now as, as we begin in verse 18. As you look at your outline, the first thing I want us to notice is a surprising rescue that takes place here. It is surprising. The story, to me, does not turn out like you probably think it would turn out. Once you have these chariots and horses and they outnumber uh, the enemy. Uh, in my mind's eye, I'm thinking, here's the servant, and now his eyes have been opened, and he sees all this, and he realizes that he and Elisha, they have the numbers. And as I think about this, I feel that maybe he's thinking, oh boy, we're saved. Yes. Man, God is going to give it to these Syrians. We have won, and now these Syrians are going to get it. Well, that's probably how we would have thought if we just had stopped the story there. But this is not God's intention with this whole thing. God has a greater intention in this story. God's intention is to, uh, to show that he's in control. God's intention is, is to, to teach a tremendous lesson to the Syrians and also to the king of Israel. Let's see what that is. So as we think about this surprising rescue, I've broken that down. It takes a lot of time to do that. Sometimes I wonder, why do I break this down and all these little topics? But I just love doing it. We see in this surprising rescue, we see a sincere request in the first part of verse 18. So when the Syrians came down to him, so this is just after Elisha has talked to the servant and he's seen what he saw. Elisha, so the Syrians come down, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, strike this people, I pray, with blindness. Now, as I read that, and as I've read it in the past, uh, I would think probably as most of you, and that is blindness meant blindness. You just couldn't see. But then I started, sometimes that's, I don't know if that's the best thing in the world, but sometimes you, you start reading these, these commentators and these other writers, and, and, and you learn some things, or you, you see another approach to the thing besides uh, what you think. And, and so it leads me to ask the question, is the blindness here literal blindness, or is it figurative blindness? Uh, on the surface, it seems to me like it is a literal blindness. But when you begin to look at the commentators, the majority, the overwhelming majority of the uh, commentators think that this was not a physical blindness. And one of the things they point out is 
they will point out, you remember uh, the servant we just talked about. And uh, he comes in, and he's scared to death because the city's surrounded. And Elisha prayed, he said, Lord, open his eyes. Well, was he physically blind? No. He was spiritually blind. And uh, his eyes were open when he was able to see uh, what Elisha knew, and he saw the chariots and the horses. So some of the commentators say, well, this is the kind of blindness that, that they, they have. And it was just interesting. Some of them would say, uh, this blindness was a, a lack of awareness. That they, there was this state of mental confusion. That uh, there was this inability they had. This was what happened to them. They had this inability to think or this inability to, uh, to act. I thought that was interesting. Uh, and I'm out here to debate whether it was a literal blindness or a uh, figurative blindness. I do know that there are a lot of times in the Bible where the word blind or blindness is used in a figurative and a spiritual way. For example, uh, in Matthew 15, 14, Jesus was talking about, or to the scribes and the Pharisees, and he wasn't saying some nice things. And he said, let them alone, they are blind leaders of the blind. Well, as we read that, and we put it in this context, if the blind leads the blind, both will fall in this, we understand that he's, he's talking about their religious blindness, their spiritual blindness. And he, he wasn't talking about their physical blindness. In Matthew 23, 16, you know, when he gives those seven woes upon the, on the Pharisees, he says, Woe to you blind guides who say whoever swears by the temple. Well, we understand that it wasn't a literal blindness they had, that it was just a spiritual blindness. So it was interesting to me that there were those who said this was more of a confusion uh, that he had a mental confusion, that he had a spiritual blindness. Now, you can have any idea you want about if this is a physical blindness or a spirit. I just found it interesting that the overwhelming majority thought that this was probably mental confusion. Uh, one commentator even said, well, uh, if they were physically blind, they wouldn't follow somebody like Elisha, as they will do, uh, and there were all kinds of exclamations. Okay, let's see what happens now. We saw the sincere request. Lord, strike them blind. Whether it's physical or whether it's literal, that's what happens to them. And then you have this shocking result. Notice the second part of verse 18. And he struck them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. Now, the thing I want to point out here is that God answered that prayer. Um, he said, Lord, strike them. That's exactly what God did. So this is a shocking result of this uh, sincere request that Elisha had. Then notice the next thing on your outline. Let's see this suspicious response. Uh, is it suspicious what uh, Elisha does in the context Let's notice here at the end of the first part of verse 19. Now Elisha said to them, This is not the way, nor is this the city. Now the thought that comes to my mind, if this is mental confusion they've got, how could they understand what Elisha is saying? So, you know, you, you, you can bet me what. This is not the way, nor is this the city. Follow me. And I will bring you to the man whom you seek. Now, you can read page after page after page of these writers that will talk about that Elisha lied. Or ask the question, did Elisha lie to these Syrian soldiers now who are blinded when he said, this is not the way, nor is this the city. And if it is a lie, was he justified in telling that? Now let me hear from you. What are some thoughts that you may have about this? And I realize in the end it really doesn't matter, but uh, it's interesting when you, when you look at this and you, and you read about all these people saying, well, maybe he lied. 
Deli? Okay. Here's my thoughts on this, for whatever they're worth. Uh, first of all, in the from the very beginning of time, it seems. There's always been this law in war that it was justifiable to deceive the enemy. Uh, we have never challenged anybody in World War II or any other wars. I mean, deception is part of war, isn't it? Uh, it's just, and we accept that to be the case, especially when it is against the enemy. This could be what's happening here, okay? Uh, this is not the first time Elisha has used deception. If you go back to chapter 3, and we've studied this, remember when he had the three armies that he helped deliver from the Moabites? Uh, he deceived the Moabites. He led them to believe that, that water was blood. So there was deception there. In the next chapter, he's going to deceive the Syrians, and he's going to have them. To, he's going to deceive them into thinking that what they're hearing uh, is chariots and horses. So it could very well be that what Elisha is doing here is that he's just this is this is part of of warfare. I don't know, but this is the case. Somebody want to throw you two cents in here? Maybe you don't. I don't know. All right. He said they're not here. Were they? Yeah. Did they go another way? No, he said they did. It's, it's deception, but maybe it's justified under the circumstances you're talking about. Now that's, my that's a good point, Harry. Harry pointed about Rahab. And in the context of war, uh, she did. She did something very similar. In fact, she was a little bit more direct. Right, she was rewarded for it. That's exactly right. And if you see what you're, what you're teaching me now, if this is translated as, this is not where you need to be going, but I'm going to take you where you need to be going, it, 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 would, it would not feel like that. Right. And technically, that's not the city where he lives. Uh, he's going to take them uh, to the city where he lived. Yeah. All right. Any other comments? All right. There is this suspicious response. Now let's move on to your outline. And we're going to see in verses 19 through verse 23 this startled ruler. And uh, I would have, been, would have been startled too. And I think, as we'll see in a moment, I think the whole city of Samaria would be startled as well. We see the surprising Syrians. Uh, in verses 19 through verse 20. Let's look at the text. 19b, but he led them to Samaria. Uh, <laughs> this is a picture I had in my mind. Think of yourself, here you are the Samaritans. And this is Elisha's home. And all of a sudden you see, you see a guy leading the Syrian army. To the gates of Samaria. And all of a sudden they come out the gates and they won't in. I don't know what went on in the minds of those uh, Samaritans, but I, I imagine there had to be some kind of shock, don't you? And somehow, someway, Elisha got him in. He got him inside. In fact, we're going to see, he even got him in before the king. Right, right, right smack dab with the king. And I, and I was thinking, isn't that that had to have been something amazing for them to have seen. And you wonder how Elisha in the world did he talk to them to let them in. Now verse 20. So it was when they had come to Samaria that Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. And the Lord opened their eyes and they saw and there 
they were inside Samaria. Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. Uh, if it's a physical blindness, they're able to look around and to see. If it's a mental confusion, a spiritual confusion, their minds have become clear now. Uh, Once again, I think, how would, what would you think these soldiers would have felt? All of a sudden, whether well, it's a literal figurative blindness, all of a sudden they come to their senses, are they able to see, and they look, and all around them are the Samaritans. They're the ones surrounded now. <laughs> you know, they had Elisha in the city of Dothan, they're the ones surrounded now, and not only that, but they see the king of Israel. Here they are. What in the world has happened? Can you imagine the, uh, the prize Syrians as that came about? Well, I noticed that. Let me go back one or two. I was going to make a comment on this. They were inside Samaria. I made that comment. Now, let's look. As we think about the startled ruler, the king, we see the shocked king. The Syrians are surprised, no doubt, when they see where they are and they're surrounded. But then the king of Israel is shocked. Now, when the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elisha, my father, uh, this was a term of respect in the Bible. And uh, I, I look at this and uh, I think, you know, Joram, the king, should be very, very respectful to Elisha. Because think of what Elisha has done for him. Elisha saved his life. Elisha was constantly telling him, don't go here, this is what's going on with the Syrians. And not only that, but Elisha now has brought him in this army of the enemy right there at the doorsteps. And so certainly he ought to be very, very respectful uh, to, to Elisha. Problem is, that respect didn't last. <laughs> you get down to verse 31, and here's what happens. Now, after he says, Father, I mean, he's so happy that Elisha has delivered these Syrians and the respect. This is Joram. Then he said, God do so to me, and more also at the head of Elisha, the son of Shaphat, remains on him today. Now, if you remember in our class last week, we talked about that, that uh, Elisha really didn't care that much about Joram. He helped him out because he was God's prophet in, in Israel. But he didn't like Joram. And it's evident that Joram didn't like him, even though he was respectful. Uh, that doesn't last very, very long. And then notice, he said, shall I kill them? Shall I kill them? Uh, I don't know. I, I see he's just giddy here. I see that he is just filled with all kinds of excitement. He's going to get to kill him. Here's the enemy. I got him. Shall I kill him? Shall I kill him? And he's so happy. Now, the king of Israel wanted to give them what they deserved and not what they needed. So often we're like the king of Israel. And the way that we deal with our enemies of the people that we don't like. We're just like him. We may not mean literally, shall I kill him physically? Shall I kill him? But we'd like to see some pain along the way. So the king says, let's give them what they deserve. Let's kill them. There's the shot king. And then you see the saved Syrians. He says, shall we kill him? Shall we kill him? And notice what Elisha does. But he answered, you shall not kill them. Now, this was not Joram's captives. This was God's captives. And God was wanting them to learn 
And Elisha, God through Elisha, was wanting the king and Israel to learn that their security was in God. And it wasn't in the king or anybody else. The security uh, was in God. So he says, no, you shall not kill them. Now, we understand that it's been a general principle as far back as you can go. And it was in biblical times as well that if it was a prisoner of war, you didn't kill them. But we know how that goes sometimes, don't we? We know that uh, from our histories in the last of war in the last 200 years that there have been many times that prisoners of war were killed, but it's sort of a, a standard rule that you just you don't kill them. And, and Elisha says here, no, you shall not kill them. Now, let's look at this last part of verse, or the second part of verse 22. He said, would you kill those whom you have taken captive with your sword and with your bow? Let's ask this question. Why did these guys deserve death? We've already answered it in our discussion. Why? Why did they deserve to be killed? Why did, they, why did the king of Israel not deserve to have his request made? Alive, that is, to be put to death. Well, that's right. They were after him. Uh, they, were, they were certainly, they, they had been after the king himself. Uh, they were after Elisha. They were constantly bringing devastation upon Israel. I mean, they had every reason in the world for these guys to be put to death in the eyes of most people. But God, you see, had other plans. Even though these guys probably deserved the harshest of punishments, God had other plans with this. So, why, what did they deserve? They deserved death because of what they had done. But here's the question. What did they need? What did they need? That was what Elisha would address in this. In fact, it's interesting as we go to the next verse, Elisha, in the last part of this same verse, Elisha points out the two things they needed. Set food and water before them that they may eat and drink and go to their master. What did they deserve? Death. What did they need? They need to have their strength renewed and they need to go home. Well, watch what happens. Then he, Joram, the king of Israel, he prepared a great feast for them. Notice, it seems to me that the king does more than Elisha asked. He said, just give them food and water. But notice the emphasis the text places here. It says the king prepared for them a great feast. Now, I don't know. I thought and thought, what is the reasoning behind that, the thinking behind that? But I didn't come up with anything. Maybe you could. But I did think about this. I thought, uh, can you imagine being these, uh, once again, these Syrian soldiers? And here they set this food. I don't know. To me, that would have been a lot of question about, are they going to poison us? You know, you wonder if they just started nibbling on the food and it was pretty good and all of a sudden, they see that people weren't falling dead and they started eating more and more. I don't know. But I, I sort of wonder about what was going through the mind uh, of these particular uh, soldiers. And notice the last part of verse 23. And after they ate and drank, he sent them away. Now, once again, I let my mind go out, and I'm wondering, are the soldiers still suspicious? I wonder if they, when he says, is this for real? I mean, really? Here we are in the, in, in the city of the enemy, and they're going to let, they fed us, and they're letting us go home? I wondered if they looked back every now and then uh, to some area to see if somebody was falling, to execute them outside uh, the city. My mind goes wild sometimes, but I wonder about that. Now, let's see 
a significant result as we think about verse 23. Then he prepared a great feast for them, and after they ate and drank, he sent them away, and they went to their master. They went back to the king of Syria. Uh, they go across, they, they leave from Samaria, they go across the plains of Dothan, they go across the Jordan River, over the mountains of Syria, back up to Damascus. And they get there. Now, what do you think is going to be the question when they get back uh, to Syria? What's going to be the question that the king of Syria is going to ask them? Well, it would have to be, did you find Elisha? Uh, yep, found him. Well, did you kill him? Uh, nope. Well, uh, you got him with you? Nope. Well, where is he? What happened to him? Well, King, you better sit down for this. Because you're not going to believe what we are about to tell you. I mean, can you see what would have to be going on there? Notice, so the bonds of Sir the bands of Syrian raiders came no more into the land of Israel. There was peace. That's what happens, folks, when you learn in life to give people what they need and not what they deserve. There'll be peace. There's peace. That was the result here, and that's the result in our lives. And I hope this is, this is one of the lessons that we'll take with us tonight as we try to wrap this up. By the way, it says the bands of the Syrian raiders came no more into the land of Israel. That was short-lived. That was short-lived because in the very next verse, it happened after this, we don't know how long, that Abinadad, king of Syria, gathered all of his army and went up and besieged Samaria. It happened for a while, but it didn't happen that long. I don't know if... It was just a halt put to the battle for a while because um, the king of Syria was moved by this generous gesture from uh, the king, from Elisha, really the prophet. Uh, I don't know. But here's what we take with us. I got five minutes here. Through the years, a lot of us in our lives as we deal with each other, we're more concerned about giving others what they deserve than what they need. And as God's people, one of the things that we have to work on as we try to grow and mature spiritually is to start asking, what do these people need? Think about this. Often those who need love the most deserve it the least. Would you agree on that? Isn't that true? Those who deserve, those who need love the most deserve it the least. Wow. I read that statement. I thought, I got to give you all that. But uh, what we're talking about here, Jesus talked about it. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I said, you love your enemies. Bless them. Give them what they need. Do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Don't give them what they deserve. You give them what they need, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors are the same. And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do? More than others. Do not even the tax collectors do so. Therefore you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect or mature. That's what Jesus taught. And then Paul taught the same thing. If it's possible, as much as it depends on you, live peacefully with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. 
For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. Don't give him what he deserves, give him what he needs. And that's what Elisha did. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. That's what Elisha did. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. One thing that will guarantee peace is for us to learn to give people what they need. And to be honest with you, I have to work on that hard in my life. I don't know about you. Uh, but we have to do that. And here's the thing. You say, well, they don't return it. In re- they don't give it anything in return. Well, at least you'll know. At least you'll have the satisfaction of knowing that you've done what the Lord wanted you to do. And at least you'll have the satisfaction of knowing that you did what you could do for the sake of peace. Getting even never brings peace. Giving people what they deserve. It may make you feel good, but it'll never, ever bring peace. And the only hope for a lot of marriages... Peace in a lot of marriages. The only hope for peace in a lot of families and nations is that we learn to give each other what they need and not what they deserve. I read this and I thought, boy, this is so true. When you look at all these lessons we're learning from these stories, Elisha was more like Jesus than any other Old Testament prophet. Because you see a lot of Jesus in Elisha. A lot of Jesus. And boy, do you see it here when you talk about grace. Because Jesus did the same thing for us, didn't he? He didn't give us what we deserved. He gave us what we needed. So, the next time somebody abuses you and speaks harm of you or wrong of you, and does wrong to you, and you want to get back, and you won't give them what they deserve. You remember this story. And you remember Elisha. And you remember that it's our duty and our responsibility to give people what they need, not what they deserve. Boy, that's hard sometimes, isn't it? Any thoughts or comments? Two powerful lessons the last two Wednesday nights. You're not outnumbered as a child of God. You got more on your side than the enemy. And boy, oh boy, we need to be giving for peace in our lives. We need to be giving what people need and know what they deserve. Let's have a word of prayer and we'll get out of here. Father, thank you for the time in your word. And we continue to thank you for the great prophets of the Old Testament, for this tremendous, tremendous story about grace. Help us to remember it and not forget it. Help us to remember it the next time that um, someone does us wrong. Help us to take this lesson outside this building, to take it with us this week and through the rest of our life. And give us the strength that we need to be able to do this very thing that we've talked about tonight. And give us, give us the maturity we need to want to work on this. And to work on it all the days of our lives. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Next week, we'll pick up with 2 Kings 6 again. I'm coming back to the heart of worship And it's all about you All about you, Jesus I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it I uh, failed to mention something. I'm sorry, I failed to mention this. I do need to mention it. Um, Brother uh, Bobby Johnson. Oh.
Johnson County Jarred Huge Pine Tree, and it's been there for a while. And some folks are going to try to help Brother Bobby uh, get this tree up. It's just one big pine tree, and Philip Binkley is going to be over at uh, Brother Bobby's house at 8 o'clock Saturday morning. And if you, you can be over there to help him, um, it'll be just cutting this tree up and getting it to the, the city. Uh, that's all that will be involved. If you can help him, let him know that you can be there at 8 o'clock like on Saturday. Sorry about that. Thank you. I could search for all eternity long and find there is none. 